Anime Declassified is a podcast run by the Anime Secrets website. Check us out at AnimeSecrets.org for more anime, video game, tokusatsu content. Remember to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Anime Declassified hosted by AnimeSecrets.org. I'm your host, Rizwan Merchant, and today we're doing something a little bit different. So, this past weekend was Comic Palooza 2023 here in Houston, Texas. And I was able to attend for the Saturday, and I was invited to sit in on a panel hosted by a new friend of mine, James, of the NerdCon convention over in Mount Bellevue, Texas, later this year, October 21st, 2023. So, I decided to start a panel. The panel is on Toy Universe and the active play and the storytelling behind it what you're going to hear in the rest of this podcast is the live audio from that panel if you're interested this is a really cool panel i really recommend you guys all listen to it and check it out and uh let's get into it all right ladies and gentlemen welcome to the toy universes at play we're so happy to have you join us here today my name is chris chisholm i am the facilitator of this particular discussion um, I've got a great panel of expert guests over here. And what makes them all experts is that they were once kids who played with what? Toys. Toys! Guess what? That means that all of you are experts too. Let's run this around so you and Marie can share. Oh. Alright, quit beating yourself up there. I mean, it's stop, right? stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. What if I want to? Um, well, then well, there might be some clinical issues for you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this panel. We're going to talk about all the stories and the universes that toys were created um, and, and how they went about marketing and what we love. But we also want to hear from you. This panel is about you guys as well. So I'm going to ask questions of the crowd and I'm going to invite you to be engaged in the process too. Because everybody here loves toys, right? Yes. So again, I'm Chris Chisholm. I run a little group called NerdFest on Facebook. I'm also a vendor here at 1630. Our, our booth is called NerdFest Texas. And we have a lot of cool toys for both kids and collectors. And I run a small toy, a uh, small Comic Con called NerdCon with this guy right here, Jerry Shaper. I'm going to ask you guys to go down the line, introduce yourselves, and tell people about you. All right, hi guys. My name is Jerry Shaper. I am the co-director of NerdCon, and I also direct another Comic Con called uh, the Eastern Room Funny Book and Vintage Con, which is focused on comics. Uh, I'm a teacher in the area, and I've been working to help elevate the ideas and concepts, as well as uh, elevate literacy in, in kids' lives. So that's part of the things what we're doing here, and that we want to make sure that everybody gets. And has a terrific time while we're having this particular panel. All right. Hi, I'm Rizwan Merkson. I own uh, AnimeSecrets.org. It's a website that does a lot of convention coverage around the country. Also, with that website, we have three different podcasts: one for anime, one for Shippuden, like Power Rangers, Japanese Power Rangers, Super Sentai, Common Rider. And we have a new podcast just launched this past month on May the Fourth. Because we wouldn't want to start podcasting before called Jedi Squadron. So check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, I got Vince Star's actor. But yeah, that's my feed. May the fourth be with you. I'm Marie. I just love all things nerdy, from toys to movies to pop culture, so I'm just here to share the fun. Now, Marie is being very, very modest. Marie is one of the most awesome cosplayers out there. And she does this thing where she bends both Disney and Star Wars together with a great Snow White Jedi cosplay. Uh, tell us who you're cosplaying today, Marie. I'm the Little Mermaid. She is the Little Mermaid. You know that? that is awesome. All right, quick question for our panelists here. 
Um, you know, one of the questions we asked about um, yesterday was, what was it like for you as a kid? Just share, just share something happy about childhood that, that really brought you and, and was unique about your generation. Don't go too in-depth in the toys, because we're going to pass this question uh, and come back to the toys a little bit more. But what was unique about being a kid in your generation? Well, for the fact that the toys and the media mixed together to create really an amazing connection to the pop culture. For instance, you know, you had G.I. Joe that started off as a toy line first and became a comic and then, of course, the TV show. And so those types of things really made my childhood in the 80s and 90s very special. So for me, uh, part of the thing I love my childhood was that, so I grew up in the 90s primarily, I was born in 87, but my favorite part was just the cool toys we had when we were growing up. I mean, there are just some cool toys now, but I think toys back then, we're just a different breed altogether, and I'm really excited to talk about that. Today. So when I was in school and we had recess before all the fun uh, slides and merry-go-rounds were taken away, we liked to play Power Rangers, and it was always a fight over who got to be what color. So that that was my fun memory. What color were you typically? Were you tough enough to be the color you wanted? Were you the pink? Are we? Were you the pink ranger? Is that who you wanted to be? No. So my favorite color when I was little was yellow. But I played Power Rangers mostly with my little sister and my best friend. So I usually lost to both pink and yellow, and therefore I said I would be blue because Billy and I both wore glasses, and I thought that was cool. All right. <laughs> Finally, somebody thinks the Blue Ranger is cool. All right. What about you guys? Because we got a lot of different generations out here. Uh, no childhood traumas, please. And this is not a therapy session. All right. But who wants to share? What's it like? How amazing was it for you being a kid? And what do you hold on to from that time? Uh, Monster Five. I think that really affected like my style and my hair. And honestly, the way that I speak, it's it really boosts the confidence. And then the reboot. Romantic. I love when Torrance of the Storm is romantic. Thank you for sharing that. Marie, you want to share? What was it like for you as a kid growing up? What's, what's some of the special memories you have? Remember, no childhood trauma, Marie. We do not have, uh, Marie, we do not have that kind of time. Um, Saturday morning cartoons. Um, my favorite is Batman and anyone series. Saturday morning cartoons. She was here for the wrong panel. That was yesterday. Hey, anybody else want to share something you loved about being a kid in your generation? What's awesome about kids today? I don't know. Don't know. This is the I don't know generation. I love it. I love it. Who else had a hand up? All right, my man, tell me about being a kid in your generation. You see, uh, people are making toys out of video games, and so they also started making toys. So it's really interesting seeing Donkey Kong getting, like, possibly the worst show I've ever seen, but, you know, also making it relevant again, and I kind of miss that. I love that, and you know, video games really kind of took over that toy line. We'll kind of talk about that, but the, the, so many of the stories now are, are coming from video games. Um, you guys growing up, what are the one or two toy lines that were so special to you? And we'll start. Let's start with Marie. Let's give Marie. You know, Marie is so awesome. She should get to speak first. Um, being a female, no, not that that has much to do with anything. But the toys that I think I played with most were Cabbage Patch Kids and Barbie. Cabbage Patch Kids and Barbies. Now, was it? Now, let's talk about both because they they have such a different meat. Um, I mean, because to me, if you're paying Cabbage Patch, it's more about mothering. But if you're Barbie, you're looking to be a career woman supermodel. Am I right? I just liked dressing them both up. <laughs> oh, future cosplayer over here for sure. Then Cabbage Patch and Barbie. Did you have a particular favorite Barbie? 
I think my favorite was, um, I had two. One was uh, a mall Teresa doll who was dressed in really trendy, weird 90s clothes, now that I think about it, but like you pushed a button and she'd be like, let's go shopping. And then there was a skipper doll that um, had like a little dog because she was like pet center skipper or something. Like I'm not really sure, but she also had weird 90s, bright clothes, the frizzy hair, and a little puppy dog that I just thought was the cutest. The cutest puppy dog. All right, that's a great answer. How about for you? Great toy line. And we're going to come back and talk a little Barbie and Cabbage Patch. So, my favorite toy line growing up when I was a kid in the 90s was Power Rangers. I loved the Canal Diggers. I loved the Megazord, the transforming them together. Also, speaking of the word transforming, Transformers were really cool when I was growing up. I really enjoyed collecting those, playing with them. I had like really unique storylines I would make for easy different things, crossovers and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's my Jerry, my man, a couple of toy lines for you. All right, so G.I. Joe for sure, because I don't know if any of you played with your G.I. Joes like I did, and I played the hell out of them. Like out in the creek, building the little forts, and throwing the rocks. Oh no, the bombs are coming, and all my G.I. Joes ended up being torn up and everything broken on them, but they were the most fun. Also, He-Man as well, because we did the same thing with them. He-Man, um... Yeah, uh, lots of muscle men in tight little shorty shorts. Nice. All right, slinging around the muscular tones. You know, for me, I, 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 I started off Star Wars. I mean, even though they were a toy that came from an actual universe that was already established, loved Star Wars as a kid, morphed into G.I. Joe Hot Wheels. I mean, you know, Hot Wheels was the one that didn't have like a storyline, and we'll kind of talk about some of those as well, but I just love the cars and I picture myself driving. Um, what about for you guys? Special toy lines. You already said Monster High. Anything else? What's that? My Little Pony. Yes, yes. Any bronies in the house? Oh, no. He put that hand down real quick. No, I am not a brony. I am not a brony. What about for you? Special toy line? She is getting shy. That's all right. My man, I'm going to come over here to you. What was your special one or two toy lines? Spawn and the Shell Shocker. Nice. Now, I love Spawn. Came from the Spawn comics. And they were really great toys because they kind of set the tone that toys could finally be dark. Right? Because toys, you know, it was always about the hero, and the hero was always the good guy. And, right? And Spawnline came along and really made it okay for it to be dark. Well, I think also because Todd McFarlane was able to really recreate a lot of really great toys and Kiss and all these great characters, you know, and so he was able to really twist it in such a way that made it very, very popular and very spread out into the world in terms of how people looked at it, for sure. You know, one of the things we talk about, you know, is they, they created, if you look at toys like in the 50s and stuff, not really as much as, as far as storyline that they give you. Like, you know, here's a gun, here's a doll, right? This is what you do, right? But as you get into the, like, the 80s, they really start creating these universes. They build comic books and cartoons, and it's all this big marketing thing. And, you know, it's really driven to make the sales. Um, and, it, and it was really brilliant. It was really brilliant the way it was done. But nobody had a storyline for a potato head, let's be honest. <laughs> So how much did those stories... Oh, go ahead, please. I mean, when Toy Story came out in 96, you got a... Okay, <laughs> Potato Head was already about 40 years old at that point. <laughs> you know, Potato Head actually... And he persevered for 40 years. That so. he did, that he did. Um, how much did the stories, though, that they create, the cartoons, um, the commercials, the comic books, how much did they inspire your play? Did you watch the cartoon and say, I'm going to continue that story? Or were you like, yeah, that's out there, but this is my story? Um, as someone whose parents didn't particularly buy me the special marketed toys, I never had Power Rangers, despite the fact that I like them. 
I kind of did both with my Barbies and Cabbage Patch Kids. I would recreate the storylines from my favorite TV shows, and sometimes I would make them my own. Did, did you did you get the like the knockoff like the Power Strangers and toys like that? Every once in a while, we get like the Dollar General Power Rangers. Yeah, like the He He Man as opposed to He Man. I still just had a shock that I had actual Barbies, not like dollar store Barbies. But the downside, not the downside. My mom made all the clothes though for all of my dolls, so some of them got pretty creative. That's awesome. Unique fashion. I like that. I like. It. And then and, and here again, another example leads you to becoming a future cosplayer, right? How many of you got a few cosplayers out here? Any of you guys ever make your own doll clothes? Yeah, when you were growing up, did you make doll clothes, or did this just become a thing you just suddenly did? Yeah, uh, so with the Barbie dolls and the Monster High dolls, I'd like to switch out the clothes, but because they have different body types, I had to make my own clothes. So I take some of the Barbie clothes, and then I butcher them. <laughs> I like it. Great to me down Barbie fashion for Monster High dolls. What about you guys? Um, Jesus, I don't remember the original question. Uh, no, storylines. Story story yeah. How much does that impact your play? Um, not as much as you would think, because I had a wide assortment of toys, Dragon Ball Z, Power Rangers, Transformers, I'd like mix and play, I didn't really care what it was, if I had a Power Ranger or Transformer, I'd say they got together and Power Ranger more. Made an awkward Power Ranger and Transformer baby. Oh no, I mean, sorry. Well, the Transformer was a door. So, that is true. I guess if it's a Zord, a uh, Transformer and a Power Ranger could technically make a baby. I don't know how that would work. I, agree, I, mean, I guess they assemble it. Yeah, All right, Jerry. So for me, uh, in particular, it was the GI Joe. Uh, just recently, at, a, at another show that uh, I was actually uh, uh, on a panel and I was I was moderating for Larry Hama, the guy who created all the backstories for the GI Joes and. He was, you know, going off and telling how everything was kind of constructed from people they knew when he was in the army and the armed forces. And so, reading the comic and watching the show really, you know, took the play to a different level because the comic wasn't for kids. I mean, it was marketed to kids, but it was very grown-up stuff, and it was definitely something that was for, you know, kids with more of a capacity for for like story and plot and structure and all that. And so our stories were always more intricate, and they really influenced me because, once again, he was growing us as kids into someone who would be able to appreciate art and literature at a different level. in the military. That too. <laughs> All right, well, how about you guys? How much did, how much did the storylines impact your play? I, I love the fact that we've got a, a Care Bear sitting in the back, by the way. Can we give it up for her? Give her a round of applause. All right. Hey. Care Bears. How much did the, did the stories impact your play? Whenever your toys were tied to like a show, then it would always give them an innate role. Like Optimus Prime would always be the leader in whatever his powers were. So I think that the storyline, at least developing the characters for whatever playset you're using, would help create something new and stimulate that sort of thing. I dig it, I dig it. How about for anybody else? Anybody else want to share? Maureen? Maureen? Maureen, what about Chris. for you? Right over there, I'll be on the other side. So I um, collected X-Men cards and I love the um, comics. And so it wasn't more of a toy, it was more like the cards itself that was really cool to me. That's awesome. I like that. Who else had a hand up over here? All right, my friend. I think as far as like human, it was a little bit different because when you had human released initially, it had a comic book that had a more obscure storyline, but then the filmation took over. 
they made more of a concrete storyline. And so the initial release of the figures, it was a little different when they started releasing the ones after the donation made the animated series. Because then you had Prince Adam, you didn't really have a Prince Adam in the initial series. Skeletor was more obscure in his role, and Kordak was not even mentioned really until much later. So I think it just depends on how they released the story. Was it more concrete at the beginning? Well, if I remember correctly, for the He-Man, he was like a some sort of like uh, weird savage person living out in like the deserts of nowhere, and he shows up, and, and it's it's a very cool thing. I'll, I'll, in a way, I almost wish they would have kept it that way because it would have been like a lot more fierce and, and ferocious when it came to it. Yeah, totally get it. That's really good. Uh, good, good thought there. But you know, He-Man was so brilliant in the way they combined like mythology and barbarism and technology. Like it's magic and technology working together, and I think that, that the way it really took a creative mind to kind of make that universe. Because initially, I believe they were making He-Man. Um, they were going to do a Conan the Barbarian toy line, and they couldn't get the rights to it. You know, it's a rated R movie, so totally not appropriate for kids. So totally, definitely something they wanted to make toys out of. Um, it was the '80s. Yeah, it was the '80s. Whatever. You know, they really got to doing that in the '90s a lot. Uh, but it's such a brilliant. And so many of the conceptual ideas are great, you know, I mean, and you talked about G.I. Joe, and G.I. Joe was a great, it was a great toy line because it was very diverse, and they included everybody. Now, if you look at G.I. Joe, it was very stereotyped. Like, the one Indian guy had, like, a feather, and, like, you know, Native American guy, he was, like, he was as stereotyped as could be, but, I mean, it was still very inclusive, you know? All of the ninjas, you know, are Asian, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's very... It was 80s inclusive. Yes, it was 80s, it was a good example of 80s inclusion. Um, but still a very fun toy line. Um, you know, really, but, but, you know, as you watch, can you watch the cartoons now, and do they make sense? Do, are they easy? Do you look at them and go, what was I thinking playing with this? Well, I think for the G.I. Joe, it was, there was more thought out, same thing with Transformers. But some of the other ones were more sporadic and had sort of different riders every time. You know, and so it would it would go in, in different variations, but for sure the the like the GI Joe and, and the Transformers did have a, a line a run through that went from the beginning to the end. You know, even when they changed like the Beast Wars and stuff like that, there was still a connected piece throughout. All right, I dig it. I dig it. Um, you know, what about for you guys? Cartoons, comics. Now you read them, you watch them. Do you, do you, do you look at it and go, you know what? I totally get why I, why I was into this, or do you look at it and go, man, this is just not as cool as I thought it was as a kid. So, for me, it depends on what we're talking about, really. So, something like Gargoyles, you remember that cartoon from Disney back in the day? That still holds up really well today. Thoroughline's solid. It's really an amazing story. It still feels good right now. But if you look at something like Power Rangers, which I'm a big fan of, um, so on my podcast, we're right now covering Mighty Morphin and the Sentai Gear Rangers. And I gotta tell you, I walked into it a couple of weeks ago, watching the entirety of season one, and there are points where I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> but at other points, um, really, I still thought it was really well done. The characters that would really sold it for me more than the story, because the characters are more believable than the story itself, right? Like, it's easy to imagine a high school kid living their lives and then all of a sudden aliens invade. So that doesn't make sense to me. So it really is. Depends what we're talking about, like which cartoon, which TV show when we're growing up, that'll influence that. But you know, I think you bring up a great point. For those of you who grew up in the 80s, the toy cartoons were so much different than in the 90s. In the 90s cartoons really were more story driven. You could have violence, right? But if you watch He-Man, he never really punches anybody in that 1980s series. 
G.I. Joe, they really, they shoot at people, but nobody ever gets hit. Nobody's ever like, ah, my leg! So the, or, um, if they, or they hit actually, an airplane. That actually stayed true even in the 90s. If you watch the original Spider-Man 90s That's cartoon, yeah. they weren't allowed to punch people. Like, you he know, wasn't allowed to actually punch someone. That's Batman like, punched the crap out of a lot of people. Batman is maybe, but Spider-Man was not allowed to. Like, that's why you see him throwing random, like, stuff as a bad guy all the time. Like, or they get the web, around it. Or the web shooting. Yeah, or the web shooting. Or that's like not in, popular. Like in G.I. Joe, whenever they shot the planes down, everybody had a parachute, and everybody <laughs> made it out of the plane, and everybody landed just fine. Every single person. Every then, single time. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it was so different in how they did it, you know? Like... Even Transformers, I mean, none of, they didn't get destroyed. They're robots, but, you know, it wasn't until that movie that uh, any of them ever died. Right? For, well, I mean, there is the movie, and there is, you know, Optimus Prime's death, so... One time, but yeah. And, you know, they were going to do that with this G.I. Joe movie, they were going to kill off Duke. And after the crowd reaction to Optimus Prime dying, they changed it to where Duke was only injured, and that was a big deal. I know, we broke our hearts, man. All of us kids in the 80s were like, no, not Prime. No, Prime is the best. He's so awesome. Yeah, for you guys, any traumatic moments in cartoons that you remember? Any storylines that are like, oh, man, really? Really, that's crazy. How do you guys feel about the storylines? Were they growing up enough for you in your generation? How about for you, because you're over here, you've been watching it town. How about for you, what was the toy that you loved, and was it, do you feel like it was... Where you were at as a kid, or could it have been more, more, a little bit more uh, growing up? So I love strawberry shortcake. Nice. Uh, they had some controversial storylines, right? But I just remember all of the characters and like all the empathy, and I really, like, I really, as a little girl, could relate to that. Now, which character in Strawberry Shortcake was your favorite? Strawberry shortcake. <laughs> of course, of course, strawberry shortcake. Of course. Um, what about for you guys? Anybody else want to share, you know, kind of, kind of where you thought the toy lines were with, the, with their story making? Um, uh, one thing that I did notice, and maybe I just had to get it out there, but um, whenever you were watching He-Man, it was kind of like how you would actually play with toys, because you would have a barbarian, you would have human, and then you would also have the Star Wars in there. And so it kind of made it okay to mix up, like, you know, High fantasy and the medieval fantasy. I dig that, yeah, absolutely. And again, I'll go back to that. that's one thing He Man really did well is they mixed that culture, right? They mixed that that almost that barbarism, that magic, that religion, and totally mixed it with um, with the technology. And so that is one of the things that made it so cool and so special. Characters that you guys love. Oh, go ahead. What were you gonna say? Got a question for you guys, actually. So I know in the '90s there was a big revolution, about the mid '90s, where the soccer mom, quote unquote. Would start getting mad at the different TV shows being too violent or too um, inappropriate for a kid. So I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are in the 80s growing up. Well, did you guys face the same problem where the soccer moms would riot and cause, you know, stuff like Power Rangers and Gargoyles to get more toned down or like even Spider Man? So I don't know that we did that with our cartoons, it was more the music, the metal, the rap. I mean, you know, you, you, that's why they have stickers on them now. Right? Yeah. Not, not just to sell more records, but to advise parents because yeah. that happened. The PMR scene was very heavy in terms of turning the, all those things into, oh, no, this is no, you can't do that. But honestly, in the 80s, a lot of times the cartoons were just kind of whatever. I mean, our parents would say bye, and then we would go out into the street, into the world, and fight, and, you know, get punched in the head or whatever, and step on nails, and then come back home when the, light, when the lights come on, on the streetlights. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, wait. it was a different, it was different. My mom was all like, Go play in the woods. Get out of here, right? 
Now my wife's got our kids low jacked. Um, yeah, no, I remember back in the day, I mean, it wasn't the 80s, but they did that stuff with four kids, like Yu-Gi-Oh and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so it was like, they started changing actual playing cards because they had like demons in them. Or like, there was this one part where they were like, oh, I'm going to kill Kaiba and send him to hell. And then they were like, yo, you can't say that on TV. So then they said, oh, well, we sent him to the Shadow Realm. They had to like tone yeah. it down. And yet there's a whole movie called All Dogs Go to Heaven. And let me tell you, that dog does not go to heaven the first time it dies. Nope. Yes. <laughs> but you know, you do bring up a good point about how things got changed in the 90s. Because you guys remember Lord Zed from Power Rangers, right? He was evil, he takes Rita prisoner. Well, half a season later, they're married because parents were complaining that Zed was too scary for kids, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's a metal face with a brain hanging out. He was just a, a skeleton face, and that made him very terrifying to kids because... How was Skeletor not scary to kids? He, he probably was, but they didn't care in the 80s, right? <laughs> but in the 90s, there's this huge movement where we couldn't watch certain things because the soccer moms, quote-unquote, would decide it's not so, I mean, it took 30 years for Power Rangers, up until like last month, for them to actually use the word kill in their franchise. And once in all, if they actually used the word kill and they permanently killed the character for the first time ever, and the other time a character died, they'd come back magically like two episodes later, somehow, but this time it actually stuck. Well, so here, I was here's the thing with all that. I think kids are prepared for things that are, you know, heavier, that are much more grown up. Not, not, not anything crazy or whatever, nothing sexual, but stuff that's like, you know, characters die, things progress, people evolve. And I think kids were prepared for that type of thing. And so, so much of this censorship that kept it from, from kids being able to experience that. Because if they read books, I mean, that happened all the time in books, you know, in literature and things that you read. But, you know, in, in the TV show there was too much. I just think that a lot of it was overreach and, you know, parents overreacting or looking to make a name for themselves, like some of the folks on the PMRC board with music or other things that happened in the 90s and the 2000s. Yeah, and, you know, it's, uh, you know, you guys talk about a lot of how they, um, I'm on the spot, you know. Um, so let's move on to our next topic, I, I, and I'll come back to this when I, when I remember exactly what I was going to say. But characters that were important to you, um, you know, heroes. Um, who were your favorite heroes that you had in play? Uh, Maria's thinking hard, man. I, I mean, I watch, I, I just go back to Power Rangers and, I, and uh, probably Superman at the time. I watched a lot of Lois and Superman, that awesome, super fun 90s TV show. Um, and so I, I think that's what I ended up doing with, uh, with my toys was, you know, either recreating Power Rangers or having them fly around pretending to be Supergirl. I totally did. And she does an awesome Supergirl cosplay too. Heroes that meant in what to you? The, he the toy lines with the heroes. Which heroes were your favorite? So, my favorite heroes growing up would have to be Luke Skywalker, first of all. Um, Could Luke beat Han? If he didn't use force powers? No. No, okay, let's, let's be all clear. Yeah. Han could totally kick Luke's butt. Han could kick Luke's butt. But besides Luke, you know, Power Rangers, like you said, Murray. Um, also, really big fan of Spider Man, Daredevil growing up. The cartoon in the 90s was really good for that. I liked it a lot. X Men, uh, Gargoyles, those are like some of the best heroes in my opinion growing up. 
Jerry, for you? Okay, so something we probably glossed over here was the superpowers or the super friends. A lot of those cartoons really meant a lot to me hours activate. There you go. Um, and so for me, it was probably the, the how Superman was always everyone's fan and always wanted to you know make sure that you came out in the best, whether you're a bad guy or a good guy. He was always rooting for you to change or to, to grow. And then, of course, Batman, who you know was the opposite of that, who was like, oh, well, I will break your arm. Right, and I am the knight, you know, and and so that juxtaposition of those two sort of ideals really worked very well in terms of forming who I was as a kid, and I think those two heroes really stood out quite a bit to me. For you guys, favorite hero, hero, good guy. All right, we got one over here. So everybody always had this like one movie that they watch over and over again as a kid, and mine was Hellboy, and then one Christmas uh, I got one present. And it was a fully articulated, like, Hellboy action figure. And that was the first time I was ever awestruck by a character. That is so, oh my man, who's your favorite hero? I grew up with Power Rangers. I love it, Power Rangers, give a man a fist pump right there. All right, so let me ask you guys, more fun to be the hero or the villain? The villain, why the villain? Why is the villain more fun? Who said it? All right, why is the villain more fun than the hero? Because I like them. Because <laughs> you like them. I think it's all, we all enjoy being bad, right? Would you agree with it? Uh, you are Harley Quinn. I mean, I think anti-hero is a more respectable one. Uh, okay, I can dig that. I can, what about you guys? More fun being hero or villain? So, at least in the shows I watched in the early 90s, all the villains had the cats. <laughs> I'm going to take over the world and pet like my kitty. Doctor Claw from Doctor Claw. Uh, Gadget. Yeah, you gotta love it. Who's your favorite villains? Who are the most colorful, interesting villains to you that you that you really enjoy? The most obvious to that one is the Joker because he's literally colorful and he's just like. How do you feel about biggest, Mr. J? <laughs> he's got the biggest care, like personality in Batman. I can agree with that. But, you know, Batman villains, I think, are a step above every other villain because they are so colorful and they all have their quirks. Best villains for you guys? I have to go to Batman villains as well, but, you know, Lord Dead was one of the most terrifying things that got nerfed after her defeating because how terrifying he was. <laughs> and I had respect for how, you know, Gary was in the beginning. I hated when they made him watery and comedy related more. I don't know. Not that very. All right, for me, it has to be Skeletor. Now, mind you, the Joker's terrific, and I love him, and that would be my go-to had someone not said it already. But Skeletor, because he was, you know, one part comedy, one part seriousness, and one part, you know, this this sort of concept of what evil was and, and how frail and ridiculous it was whenever the light was shined upon it. And so it really gave this idea of what we were as people, as human beings in this world, and how... You know, if you just shine the light on things that are bad, oftentimes you can see the cracks and the silliness of it, regardless of how bad they were, how, how the bad things that they did. Now, one villain that I remember from the 90s that I really loved, David Bannister from Gargoyle. That man can never lose. Even when he loses, he's winning. How can you not want to be him? You guys prefer the villains who are smart, the villains who are crazy, or the villains who are tough? Depends. I like the smart ones like Santa, but also I could be portrayed by, you know, again, Lord Sayed or somebody that, you know, you're evil. Okay, I, Marie, what about for you? Do you like them smart, do you like them strong, or do you like them just crazy? I, 
it, it depends. I like the ones that actually manage to stump the good guys and make them think more creatively on how to get around them. The ones that can either outsmart them or are stronger than them or whatever. And not just like the little minions that you're like, oh, I can just like kick you and what about for you guys? Favorite villains? Why? Smart, strong. What are your favorite types of villains? Crazy? You want to kick us off? Since you're hard. Stand up, by the way. Can we get a Can we get a round of applause for this awesome cosplay right here? Yes. Now, uh, tell us about your favorite villains and why. What kind of villains do you really like? Why do you choose Harley, by the way? Oh well, Harley. I probably just since I was like five, or since I came out of the movie. So for like for like the past five years or so, you've liked Harley. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, for the villains, I like the kind that make the superheroes kind of say, maybe the villains are right. So kind of like a Magneto. Yeah. I kind of take like a Magneto as that kind of villain. He, he really kind of makes the hero kind of question which side of the line I should be on, right? What about for you guys? What kind of villains do you guys like? All right, my man, what kind of villain do you like? I like um, crazy and smart. Crazy and smart together. So you're a joker for sure. Okay. All right. Very good. <laughs> You are your mother's son, I know. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Your mother is both crazy and smart. Yes. Anybody else want to share? Oh, we got a Joker in the back. Hey, Joker. Yeah, that's okay. You're in the panel. It's cool. You don't have to look up. Uh, hey. All right. Guys, thoughts? Oh. Smart and strong like Darth Vader. Smart and strong like Darth Vader. And he is, you know, nobody... Darth Vader, you know, and I got to say, watching him in the prequels kind of become Vader, was so disappointed because he's so cool in those first three movies. Like, you didn't mess with him, there wasn't these emotional outbursts. There's a scene where Chewbacca is like freaking out and Boba Fett's about to shoot him in the Empire, right, when they're gonna freeze Han, and Boba's shooting, and Vader's like, put the gun down, right? And like, we got this, right? And so he's always so cool under pressure. And to see that transition from those, from the prequels, it's like, really, this is the guy? This is the guy? So, so what do you think about Anakin in the Clone Wars cartoon, where he really, I think, got to quite a bit more in the prequel movie? Uh, yeah, you know, again, and let's be honest, Clone Wars was really good, but they had the time to develop character a little bit more. Um, so, you know, one of the things I was kind of going to go to when you guys were talking earlier, and it was slipping my mind, was how the marketing, you know, do you think kids drove the marketing more, or did the marketing drive the kids more? Because when you look at, like, up until Barbie, they didn't really have fashion dolls for kids, right? And toy companies, toy stores, they didn't want to buy them because they were a very feminine, you know, a woman doll, not a baby doll. And yet when they got them in the stores, and, and this was Mattel's doing, they, before they were ever in stores, they set up marketing on TV. First toys, to, you know, really to be on TV. I think at that point, Potato Head had been on TV, but that made the girls want them to go to the stores, right, and, and to buy that. So we have all these groups like you guys were talking about kind of censoring toys and toy stories and toy lines, but kids were the ones who ultimately decided. I mean, if you look at He-Man violence, you know, the figures are all half-dressed, right? But they were so popular with the kids. Do kids drive marketing, do you think, or does the marketing drive the, the need for the toy? I think that the marketing is what creates and initiates the idea of what the toy is and the desire for it. And then I think the kids grow into it because it's sort of this, this reciprocative circle, circle where 
they say, oh, this is the coolest toy in the world. Look what it can do. Look what it can do for you. It makes you happy. Maybe it doesn't say those words, but it shows you the kid like just enjoying themselves and, oh my God, I want to be that happy too. And so it, it grows this desire in the kid. The kid goes to the parents, I want to buy the toy, and then they get the toy. And then so it sort of continues from there and it influences their kids. You know, they're like the other kids in the family, the brothers and sisters. Oh yeah, I got this toy. So you got to get, oh, well, my friend has this toy. I want to get this toy too. So I think it's sort of starts there but it, it just cycles over and over again to the kids back to the marketing to the kids back to the marketing what were the toy commercials you guys liked and were like oh damn i gotta have that mom mom anything in particular jump out for you guys um, and then like monster high it started out with the doll line but it didn't do well because they didn't have any so they came out with a web series and that's what made kids want them like me, I was like, whoa, this is so cool. They have dolls, like I need it. And you know, that's another brilliant line if you look at like, you know, and I talk a lot about Barbie because it's such an important toy line because it really kind of started the fashion doll line, right? But if you look at the ones that, you know, Barbie kind of got a little complacent. And then in the 80s, you had gem dolls come up and give them a run for their money. And then Bratz hit came and knocked them on their butts. And then Monster High, right? And so. It really kept making those doll lines kind of evolve, um, and, and other other toy lines are the same way. You know, the next thing's always an action adventure toys. The next thing is always coming, right? Um, so it really kind of made them. How about for you guys? Toy commercials that really drove you. I'm gonna get you right after this guy. The ones I really love are the R-rated Pop properties into kids, like the Robocop, you know, Rambo. Those are really for adults, but they make toys out of those. Yeah, yeah, they do. And you know what? I think that's another thing. Kids want to be grown up, so they're like, I want that, that, that grown up toy, right? I think that's a great point. Yeah. And you know, really, it was in the 80s that they started doing that. Yes, sir. Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels. Now, was it different playing with Hot Wheels because you didn't have a built in story? Was it easier for you to create your own storyline? Or was it just all random car crashes? Action, car crashes. Love it, love it, my man. Hot Wheels is all about racing and the car crashes. So for me, the marketing that ever sold it to me, it was always like I wanted a toy because of how intricate it was, how fun it looked to play with. But the marketing on specifically the Super Soakers, making it look like a, a the brand new Super Soaker 3000, now with five strings, <laughs> high end, you know, like that made me actually want to get it. Like I'm, I'm not usually affected by marketing, but that one got me day one. They came out with a new one every couple of months, and it was just bigger. And better. Super sober five thousand. Absolutely, yeah. And they were super, super fun. Oh, I'm being summoned. Yeah. All right. Um. Yeah. So, let's talk a little bit about. You know, we're all grown now, and we love our toys. What is like the holy grail of toys? Do you, Do you guys collect toys now? And what What did you find that you love and you're so happy you have now? And what's still out there that you're looking for? Who wants to go for it? Ladies first. I find myself collecting a lot of action figures these days of like my favorite characters from shows and... The ones mom wouldn't buy for me. Thanks, mom. And I still have stuffed dolls that I can dress up because that's still my favorite thing to do. <laughs> love it, love it. What about for you? Holy um, Grail of Toys, what would you really love? So, I never had a dragon sword growing up and I really wanted one then. And I still really want one now, like the original one from the 90s, not the Legacy or the Hasbro line, but the OC one. So something like that would be really cool to get. Um, other than that, I mean, 
I don't really have anything else that's like super I want to still have right now years later. Alright, so for me, it's two things. One of them I've gotten, one of them I'll probably never get. The one that I've gotten is, because uh, when, when I was a kid, we didn't have a whole lot of money, so, you know, all the Masters of the Universe, you know, the big play sets, you know, Castle Grayskull and Snake Mountain and all that stuff, couldn't afford it, it was too much money. Now, as an adult, I have both of those things, I'm so happy, I like, I'll walk by my head, <laughs> Castle Grayskull, <laughs> Snake Mountain. And the he microphone. pointed out when his mom comes to the oh, Absolutely, absolutely. But, mom, there's the Castle Grayskull you couldn't buy me. Right, because we I'm were poor. i good. And, but now, now we're not poor, it's cool. Um, but the other one is Cat Slayer from the, the Thundercats. Now, you know, that thing's like $3,000 and there's no way that anyone can afford it. You know, but I look at it, I'm like, oh, maybe one day, maybe when I win the lottery. For you guys, something that you absolutely are dying to get, that you, that you wish you had, and something that you're proud of. Anybody want to share? You want to share? All right. What are you dying to get and what are you proud that you have? So, uh, I have a larger Monster High collection than I did before. But something that I really want that is a lot harder to get these days is the Barbie Life of the Dreamhouse doll. That was made for the show. They're so pretty and they're fake lashes. They call to me. But <laughs> every listing I find for them, they have like not on legs or hands from like dogs or they're missing something. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to pay $100 to get something that's missing something. So don't look at them. So if you guys see any of those dolls, give a call, all right? Yeah, you know, and, and, it's, and you mentioned that, you know, our generation, nobody collected toys. We all said, I'm going to collect these and give them to my kids. Nobody kept their toys, right? Mom sold them in a garage sale, whatever. Dog bit them off, threw up, tore them up. We destroyed them out in the field. Yeah. But now, like, my kid's like, he's like, I bought this $100 figure. I'm not taking it out of the box. I'm like, if you don't open the box, how do you even know yeah. it's there? So by the time I was a kid, toy collecting was a thing. Uh, we had Beanie Babies, which we all thought was going to be worth a lot. My older sister got into... Yeah, you got Beanie Babies, you were going to be rich. My older sister had gotten into Star Wars and she worked at a toy store, so she bought every toy Star Wars figure she could. They were all in a box somewhere that she think, she thought in the day, back in the day, would be worth something. I think she gave up and opened them and let her son play with them because she realized they're not. Um, and I know my husband wishes he still had all his Star Wars toys from when he was a kid, but he knows he played them into the ground and they wouldn't be worth anything either. <laughs> well, you know, if you come over to the Minicast Texas, there's lots of cool Star Wars toys. Just putting that out there, folks. Just putting it out there. 1630, come visit us. Um, yeah. No, for, you know, for me, like... Sorry, I, so I just remember my mom, though, the other half of my story, my mom's a pack rat and actually still does have a lot of the toys I played with. So she still has a, quite a large My Little Pony collection from the 80s. That we had, um, that we had, and so I mean, you say that, but I, I feel like there are some families out there who actually did save their crap with their kids. <laughs> I love finding those, and, and and this is a true story. Jerry and I recently, he went with me when I bought this big collection, uh, Star Wars, and uh, I told the lady, you know, and she's like, I have these Star Wars toys and Cabbage Patch, and Hot Wheels, and all this stuff, and I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'll come check it out, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm not thinking a whole lot, you know, she's like, oh, it's going to be the storage thing, I'm thinking it's going to be torn up. We open up the box, and we look at each other, and it's like, oh, like, it is this holy grail of stuff, and I'm so tempted to keep everything. One thing that I do have, though, I got at Beaumont Comic Con last year, and it is a giant lost in space robot, things about two, three feet high, amazing piece. I keep thinking, should I bring it and sell it, or should I hold on to it? I haven't gotten, I haven't decided to sell it yet. 
it's in my personal collection. But the cool thing about, for me, if I buy the toys and sell the toys, I get to buy more of the toys, right? And I get to come out here and talk about them with you and have y'all come and see everything that's amazing in our booth. Um, we are getting near our time uh, coming to an end. So um, you guys, anybody want to share their holy grails of toys before we go? I know you said the Barbies. Did you guys have anything? You got something back here? What is your, what do you love to have and what are you, what are you looking for out there? Since I'm already an adult with money, Funko Pops. <laughs> anybody here have Funko Pops? I mean, just get, who doesn't have Funko Pops? How many, anybody have more than a hundred Funko Pops? Yes. Uh, yeah. How many do you think you have? Uh, over 200. Over 200, yeah. I mean, these guys, uh, all these businesses out here, they're like, yeah, we, 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 we got you covered. Because you can get a Funko Pop for everything. That's amazing. You guys have any Holy Grails? I don't know if it counts as a toy, but uh, man, you was talking about Thundercats, and I immediately thought about uh, one of my comic shops had like a really big sword like on a plaque, and I'm like, oh, I got that Facebook money, I'm picking up one of those. It's so nice when you get out and you can make your own money and spend it on stuff that's not super responsible, I love that. Uh, yeah, so uh, real quick, we're gonna do a, uh, one last uh, line of who we are, where you can find us, and then I'll do a couple of trivia questions and you guys can win some fabulous, not fabulous, prizes. Um, so one last time, um, starting down on the end, we'll start with Marie. Uh, uh, tell them again who you are, where they can find you on social media, if they want to follow you. <laughs> Marie's like, oh, whatever, it's I'm just a It's not worth that I haven't posted anything on Instagram in six months. <laughs> Marie is also a nerdman in Nerdville, so if you want to <laughs> hang out with her there, too. I have Anime Keepers on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We also have Alright, um, once again, you should put in the Vintage Pond. We're going to have some flyers here that we're going to pass out in just a second. Also, co director of NerdCon. Um, it's going to be October 21st for NerdCon. And Eastern Room is going to be August uh, 19th and 20th. And, and how, much, how much does it cost to get into those It costs shows? a whole bunch of nothing. It's free, free to get into both of the cons, free to park. And we have cosplay contests. There you go. We have cosplay contests. We have all the, all the stuff that everyone, we have guests, comic guests, and, and, and a media guests. It's going to be a really good time. So make sure you come check us out. And don't forget to check us out on uh, Nerdfest, which is on Facebook. Facebook group, greatest Facebook group of a generation. You know, and make sure you check him out over there at his booth. What's the number again? 1630 Nerdfest, Texas. Bunch of really cool vintage and sorts of stuff that is amazing, so go check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, I am James Chisholm, um, and you guys can come over to 1630 and hang out with me. Uh, director of NerdCon hangs out at Eastern and Funny Book Vintage Con, runs NerdFest as well. We've got flyers. We're going to ask you to do a group photo with us before we all take off. Trivia question. Trivia question to win a fabulous prize, not fabulous. Um, and we'll start off um, 1950s fashion doll Barbie was named after who? Who was Barbie named after? All right, hand up. Uh, the daughter of the creator, Barbie Barbara. That is correct. It was Barbara, the daughter of the creator. Some cool, cool socks. Um, for this amazing cup, um, oh, it's got cracking. If you buy my book, I'll give you another one because I've got two of these. Uh, I dropped it on the way. I'm embarrassed to say that, but if you can buy my book, I'll exchange it for you. Um, anybody, raise your hand. What is what is uh, knowing half of? Knowing is half of something. What is it? 
All right, what is it, my man? The battle is correct. The battle is correct. Knowing is half of the battle. All right, and you get this awesome Street Fighter cut. Thank you so much. Hey, guys, come gather around the stage, grab some flyers, but let's take a group picture. We love you guys for coming out and being a part of the panel today.